Hello and welcome to MindQuest. I am your host, Miguel Morales, and this is Mission Control Center. Hello and welcome one more week to Mission Control Center, your one-stop shop for IT careers from recruitment bias. This week we chat with Sarah Lean, aka Techie Lass. Sarah is a Scotland-based IT infrastructure, ops, and sysadmin expert and Azure community evangelist. The founder of the Glasgow Azure user group, Sarah works as a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft and blogs, tweets, and has her own YouTube channel. Keep listening to learn how you can get into community relations and what makes a successful data center migration. As always, make sure to visit mindquest.io slash blog for the full interview and other resources for IT pros. But without further ado, let's welcome Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Mission Control Center. Thanks so much for sharing your story and expertise with our community. Why don't you tell us how you got started in tech? I started off, um, like you say, in a sysadmin role. So I was a help desk engineer um, doing those morning password resets for everybody and fishing out bits of broken paper from their printers and stuff like that. And I basically worked my career through those various different roles. So in the UK, I'm not sure if it's a universal system, but in the UK, we call help desk roles, first level roles, and then second levels, your support engineers who maybe go out to people's desks and third levels when you get to um, design systems for customers. So I basically went through those support levels um, within my career and just built up lots of experience, both internally. So I was in companies where they just had a small IT department um, and they didn't understand what IT departments did and how crucial they were. And then I also worked for managed service providers, so basically dedicating myself to various different customers and stuff. And how did you eventually become a Microsoft cloud advocate and a prominent figure in the Azure community? I kind of fell into the community role um, because I was wanting to learn Azure and there was no user groups in Scotland. I think the closest user group at the time to me was in London, which is obviously not something you want to do. Um, you finish work on a Wednesday night, go down to London to a user group and then come back up to your work the next day. It's obviously not um, logistically feasible. So I basically started the Glasgow Azure user group to fulfil my need, basically, um, for learning Azure and finding out how everybody else was fitting this into the on-prem world and the cloud world. Um, and yeah, I kind of fell into running the user group and then speaking at events. People were like, you need to speak at events and share your story and journey, which I didn't want to do um but then I, I fell into it and before I know, knew it I was I was getting headhunted to become a cloud advocate at Microsoft and yeah it was it's been a bit of a strange evolution it definitely hasn't been a planned evolution in my career um if I'm going to be brutally honest about that but one that I'm really enjoying and it's given me some excellent experiences um of traveling to different parts of the world um and and doing some amazing stuff and meeting some amazing people in the community as well so that's kind of my story. <laughs> and what does the cloud advocate position entail? So my role can be quite varied. A summary of what my job is to do is help others find out how to use Microsoft technologies. Um, whether that be, you know, telling the story in a simplified manner, maybe in a blog post or a video that, that kind of connects the dots between what your on-prem system looks like and what your cloud system would look like. Um, I'm sure we've all read some official documentation on, on various different products, not just Microsoft products and not understood what they were talking about. So being able to digest that into a way that makes sense for everybody, um, whether that be someone who's a project manager or someone who has 
100 years of experience in IT and being able to, you know, get that story across to them is something that I do. So my day can be quite varied. It can be creating videos, it can be creating vlogs, it can be doing things like this, doing podcasts, um, it can be... Yeah, just playing with technology, breaking things still in the Azure portal, or it could be creating new Microsoft Learn content as well. So there's there's lots of different fashions, uh, there's lots of different things I can do throughout the day to kind of um, do my job. So it can be quite fun. Um, obviously, COVID has stopped me travelling, so that would have been a big part of my job had we not had um, the pandemic. But we're making it work, and yeah, we're making it work. <laughs> Besides being a cloud advocate for Microsoft, you also have a personal blog and do a weekly update on YouTube at Stekilas. How do the two intertwine? Do you usually post work-related stuff, separate both worlds, or a mix of both? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest, because a lot of people know me as Techie Lass um, from before I was a cloud advocate, so they maybe follow my blog and stuff like that, um, and yeah, some of the other things like the weekly update that I do on YouTube was something that I actually started in anticipation for this job because I knew I would have to be on camera or I knew I'd have to do some presentations um, for this job. So I started that weekly update nearly two years ago now um, to basically get more familiar with looking at that camera and being able to connect to it and doing all the things that, that go around video production. Um, so that that's kind of interlinked, although it's become a kind of side project because I just enjoy doing that kind of medium um, as well. But my blog is sometimes um, intertwined into my job. You'll find me, you know, blogging about random things that I find. Um, you know, I've been supporting my husband um, working from home lately. So there's some random support ticket type questions that he's asked me that I've blogged about because I know he's going to ask me in about six weeks time and I'm not going to remember how I did it. So, um, yeah, there's there's various different things on my blog. So, yeah, my, 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 my YouTube and my blog kind of intertwined twain in in my job but it's not necessarily always about my job so is there anything in particular that you like to blog about within the world of azure i think i've tried to specialize in data center migrations so it's it's been something that i could do on-prem worlds i think we've probably all been involved in a an on-prem data center migration um, and i've tried to take some of that experience and that knowledge and actually transfer it into how you would actually migrate to the cloud so you'll find me talking a lot about migration um, I tend to talk more about the processes around that nowadays rather than the technology because I think that's a part of the journey that a lot of people struggle with. We can understand the technology quite easily, I think, but trying to put that into practice, how you think about things like training your staff, how do you change that culture within your organisation, how do you start the project for your migration because that can often be um, the part that people get stuck at. So I talk a lot about data centre migrations and Although I talk a lot about the culture and the process around it, you'll find me talking about Azure Migrate quite a bit um, in the scene and, and intertwining that into, into how you actually do your data centre migration. So that's kind of my specialty. I think that's what a lot of people reach out to me and ask to do presentations on and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's probably my speciality. <laughs> what are the biggest mistakes being made in this data centre migration to the cloud? You know, especially now that some companies might be rushing their transition because of the pandemic. 
I think lots of people forget to actually assess what they have inside their on-prem data centre right now. They want to get to the actual delivery part. They want to get to actually putting some resources in Azure and they want to actually prove the value and say we've completed that project. And like you say, some of them have been rushing because of COVID um, and the challenges that it's thrown up. But I always try and say, take a step back, have a look what's in your environment, try and understand not only the technology in your environment, but also what your staff needs are. Um, so your technology is going to have a bunch of needs when you move it to the cloud. Things are maybe not even going to be able to move to the cloud because they're legacy or they're far too complex or you know a whole host of things that's going to cause that issue. But what about the, the staff within your environment as well? Do people know how to use Azure once you've moved into that? Um, because I think that can often be a stumbling block as well. I've seen some customers who bring in third-party companies to do the migration. They move all the technology and then that third-party company leave and the staff don't have any clue on how to support the things that are now in Azure. And before you know it, they've got into this situation where they think that the cloud is rubbish because the staff haven't been able to support it because they haven't been supported in learning it. Um, So I think that's what I always say. A data centre migration is about technology and people. So make sure you're investing in the staff within your IT department. Also make sure you're looking towards the end users, the people that use these applications that are in your data centre. You know, how do they use them? Is this an opportunity to ditch some of the ones that they hate? Is it time to look at new solutions? So technology and people are the things you should be thinking about in your data centre migration. And that's kind of what I would like to try and tell people to to think about when they're doing their migrations. And what advice would you give to other IT specialists who might want to get into community relations and advocacy? If you want to get into that space, if you want to get in the community space, try and do it in your spare time. Now, I know that's a big ask because we probably don't have a lot of spare time and I definitely don't have a lot of spare time myself. But it's definitely a job you have to have a passion for because it's very different from the technology world, from being a consultant, from being an engineer, um, because there's so many facets to it. So I do things in marketing, I do video editing, I do image um, creation. I'm a bit of a designer occasionally. I'm also a technical writer. I have to be a present a presenter. Um there's there's a ton of things before I even get to the technology. You know, some days my I don't even touch any of the technology because I'm in things like Adobe Creative Cloud. So that's a big change. If you're not ready to give up the toolbox, if you're not ready to give up actually playing with the technology, then it's not something for you right now. And that's why I say do it in your spare time because if you find that you enjoy doing these things, if you enjoy doing podcasts, if you enjoy doing videos, if you enjoy doing the blogging, you'll naturally find that you'll progress more and more to that and away from being hands-on the tools as such. Um, So yeah, definitely invest in trying to figure out if you enjoy this before jumping in. Because I see a lot of people wanting the glamour, as they might see it, of being a cloud advocate. Um, But they don't realise that there's a lot of time where you're actually not touching technology. Um, But it is a great job. It is a great job. It has offered me fantastic opportunities, like I said. But I think a lot of people need to be aware of there's so much to it. Um, It's not just talking about tech all the time. (laughs) And what about your advice for the overall community? Just support people who are creating content, whether that be people like myself who do it as a job or whether it be people doing it as a hobby. Um, It definitely means a lot, even if it's just a small like on a YouTube video or a retweet on Twitter. That means a whole load to to us as content creators. Um, 
So definitely, definitely support people when they do that because it can make a massive difference. Um, and that 10 minute video could have to have, to have taken me like three days to cre- create. So that small little like on a YouTube video means the world to me and it means that I um, actually spent my time valuably. So support the content creators out there. Thank you, Sarah. Best of luck and until next time. And now... This is what happened in technology this week. One more week, one more data breach. The American phone carrier T-Mobile said on Wednesday that its servers had been hacked, with criminals stealing the personal information of 53 million of its customers. The data, which includes names, addresses, IDs, and social security numbers, does not feature financial details, but is substantial enough for victims to worry about the potential of fraud and identity theft. T-Mobile has been the target of six other breaches in the past four years, a worrying trend that reflects how increasingly difficult it is for large corporations to remain safe amidst the continuous rise in cyber attacks. And moving on to other news, the chips shortage has claimed another victim, Toyota. The Japanese car maker announced this week that it will be cutting down its vehicle production by 40% in September, joining other automobile, mobile phone and game console manufacturers in a growing list of companies suffering from a highly volatile supply of silicon microprocessors. The shortage is a consequence of the commercial fight between China and the United States, one that has sucked the rest of the global technology industry. The worst, leaders like Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger warn, might be yet to come. And finally, Elon Musk has done it again. And this time, it's a robot. The billionaire entrepreneur got yet another good dose of headline coverage on Thursday by capitalizing on the media buzz around AI and robotics. Enter the Tesla bot, a humanoid robot prototype powered by Tesla's vehicle-driving AI technology. The Tesla bot is intended to help humans with boring physical tasks like going to the grocery store. Acknowledging fears of overpowered AI systems, Musk joked about the robot being friendly and said it will boast specifications that make it slower than humans and therefore controllable. And that's all for this week. Make sure to follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn at MindQuest Talent and on Twitter at MindQuesting. Thank you for listening and until next time. Thank <laughs> you.